0: Wow. Wow. I, you know, sitting and watching, I I kept thinking back in, uh, you know, a whole bunch of years ago, I was a a choral conductor and directed the holiday course a whole bunch of times. I just kept seeing all those notes and thinking, where do you find your part in that? (laughs) You know, good, good stuff. Thank you to the monks. Yeah, I got one, one last monk delivering here. Thank you. Vows of silence, right? Thank you, sir. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Silent monks from uh, mid-Michigan sect or something, I don't know. Hey, uh, are you ready for Christmas? I I know Chris asked. Yeah, lots of you are saying yes. Anybody not there yet? (laughs) An honest soul. That's good. Um, we've been talking about Christmas, and, um, and our series the, uh, this year has has been to try and help you have the right kind of focus for Christmas. So we've talked about having making this Christmas this year a Christmas that's better than just being about stuff, right? Better, better than just the stuff. It's uh, about having a Christmas that's better than just being busy for the sake of busy, going and doing and all that kind of stuff. Better than safe. Uh, Christmas that's all about comfort, all about control that you have on different kinds of things. And today we're talking about having a Christmas that's better than empty. Um, Jamie mentioned it during during uh, uh, the time that, w- that we were singing, that we decided as we were talking about this series, and, and uh, if you remember the different things that we've had on the stage to contrast with the manger scene, we, we said, you know, today it would be really cool to just empty the stage completely and to visually show... You know what, we can have a Christmas that's better than empty, but even in that emptiness that God can come in and fill that void. Have, have you ever experienced emptiness at Christmas? Is that a concept that you all understand? Maybe, maybe sometime, you, you know, as a kid or whatever, maybe as an adult, you were thinking, if I can just get that one present. You know, if I can just, oh, if that comes, that'll be great. And you got to the end of the day on Christmas Day, and it was like, oh, this was great, but there was this sense of emptiness that was there. Maybe, maybe it was that Christmas that, that your family was impacted by, by divorce that year, and that, that, that there was just this sense that Christmas was not really the same, and that there was a a sense of emptiness. Maybe, maybe you were, you went down south, and you were in a different climate, and, um, And celebrating Christmas, the temperatures were in the 80s, the 70s, and 80s, and not in the 20s or 30s. And you thought, this just doesn't feel right. It feels empty. Anybody been there? Some of you are saying, "No." What are you thinking? There is no better place to be than uh, in in the south, where it's warm at Christmas. For for, um, for me. I experienced that in, uh, in, in uh, Christmas 99 and Christmas 2000. We were in Florida for both those Christmases. And I remember so clearly walking around and saying, this is just not right. You know, every tree is artificial. There's, there's no, uh, no live trees there. Uh, it, uh, you walked around and you saw people in shorts, not in scarves. Um, it just didn't seem right. Uh, we went swimming on Christmas Day. Swimming outside it, instead of building a snowman. It was just, it just didn't feel right. It felt empty. Uh, I want to, I want to talk today about that emptiness. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And I, and I want to look at a character that, that, um, that I think when he started his day, um, he, he had this sense of emptiness that that had come from doing the same thing, looking for God in it, and just not seeing Him for some period of time. If you've got your Bibles, take take your Bibles out and turn to Luke chapter two. Um, if you have got the North Point app, you can go go ahead and open up there. If you want to go to the Bible app to uh, uh, to uh, one of those, that would be great as well. We're going to start in Luke chapter two, verse twenty two. The scripture is going to be on screen as well. We're going to look at a, at at a at an. And an episode, something that happened in Jesus' life that we don't usually include in, at Christmas time, mostly because it's a part of the Christmas story, but it takes place about six weeks after Jesus was born. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Let's pause just for a second. The purification that Mary had to go through and that Jesus experienced when, uh, when he was forty days old, was one of the six hundred and twelve laws that God had given through Moses to, to his people, to the nation of Israel. 612 laws that they had to keep in order to have the right kind of relationship with God. Aren't you glad that we don't live in that now, that we, that we don't have those laws? But in those laws, there, there, were, there were all kinds of things, that, and there, was, there were specific commandments that were given for the purification that happened after a family had their firstborn son. That's what Mary and Joseph were experiencing at, at this point in time. Um, they needed to go to, to the temple and to make a sacrifice. Um, that, uh, what was that sacrifice about? It, it was actually about the redemption of this particular child. Um, it, it was a reminder of, of the slavery that the Jews had experienced in Egypt and, and what had happened when the, um, when the ten plagues had, had, had happened to the Egyptians in order for the nation of Israel to be freed from the hand of Pharaoh. The 10th plague was the, was the angel of death came and killed the firstborn in every family that was there, um, every family. God spoke through Moses and said to the nation of Israel, hey, here's the way that your firstborn child, your firstborn son will live. You need to kill a perfect lamb, the best lamb that you have, not one, one without any flaw or blemish, and, and kill that lamb and spread the blood of that lamb all over the frame of your door. And when the angel of death comes, he'll pass over your house. And so it was the Passover. This particular um, offering that was given was for Jewish families. When they had their firstborn, it was to remind them of that experience because they would bring their firstborn son and give him back to God. At the temple or at the synagogue, they would, they would literally give their son back to God and say, God, this is the firstborn. This is our first fruit. We give him back to you. And then they could give an offering, make a sacrifice that would allow that child to be given back to them to raise. It was the redemption, the consecration of that firstborn that happened there. And in the law, there were three ways that they could do it. They could give five shekels of silver, um, which is interesting because if you Google right now and say, how much is five shekels of silver worth? It's only worth like about two and a half bucks right now. But at that point in time in history, Um, that's because we have access to silver. At that point in time in history, five shekels of silver was equal to about two and a half weeks worth of wages. So it wasn't two and a half dollars. It was really somewhere more uh, $1,500, $2,000, $2,500, somewhere in there, two and a half weeks worth of work. That was the offering that you could give in five shekels of silver. If you didn't have that, there was a provision in the law where you could give instead a lamb and a dove to be sacrificed, So if you didn't have that much money, you gave the lamb and and the dove, um, and that was the way that you redeemed that firstborn son. And if you didn't have that, if you didn't have the ability to give that lamb, you could give two doves, two small birds, which was worth about a half a day's um, wages. Uh, So, uh, you know, a lot, lot less that's what happens here. And, and what's interesting is Mary and Joseph, when they come with Jesus to the temple to make the sacrifice, he's 40 days old. Um, they don't have five shekels of silver. They don't even have the resources to be able to give a lamb and a dove. They come with two doves. Mary and Joseph were poor. They weren't in abject poverty, but they didn't have many resources. Um, it's, it's amazing to me to consider the fact that God came to a very humble family and that Jesus was raised there so far from the palace, so far from the riches, so far from all the trappings of life. Jesus came to this young couple with, with not very much. Um, verse 25 of Luke chapter 2. Mary and Joseph come and and there was this man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. That's what we know about him, his character. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took the baby in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, God who controls everything, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He said, I can die now. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That particular day, I think before Simeon encountered Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, I think when I dive into the pages of Scripture, I think that particular morning, Simeon had every reason in the world to feel empty. God had promised him through the Holy Spirit that he was going to see the Messiah, but for some period of time, he had gotten up every day looking for the Messiah and come home empty. He, he had gotten up in the morning and said, God, is today the day that I'm going to see your promised one, the, the, the one that you've promised Israel, that's going to change everything? And every night he'd come home and go to bed and say, Oh, didn't happen. Didn't happen. I've I got to feel that, that, that after some period of time he just said, D- Did I really hear you right, God? You know, there had been 400 years where God had not interacted with the nation of Israel think it's hard for us to understand this but god had this special re- relationship with the jewish people he they were his chosen people god had spoken to abraham and had said to abraham you're going to have a you're going to have a son and he and through his through this son all the world is going to be blessed and that promise had carried had carried down god had talked directly to abraham about that god had spoken to moses in the burning bush and moses on the mountainside and given the laws to the Jewish people through Moses. God had spoken, uh, that had come through. After Moses, after the law had been given, there were the, the judges, the prophets, the kings, and God had spoken through the prophets in particular to give the word of God to the Jewish people. And then, about 400 years before Jesus was born, it all stopped. There was this period of silence that just lasted and lasted And lasted. 400 years ago, think about in our nation's history, what happened 400 years ago? 400 years ago, the the pilgrims landed at Plymouth. 400 years ago, the King James Version of the Bible was translated into English and became available for the first time, roughly 400 years ago. 400 years of silence. And at this point in time, all of a sudden, there had to be some rumblings in, in Israel, because all of a sudden, there were stories about God beginning to do some stuff again. An angel appeared to Mary. angel appeared to Joseph. When Jesus was born, there were, there, there were shepherds saying that there were angels on the hillside speaking for God. Simeon had had God um, prompt him, tell him somehow. Somehow, Simeon knew that God had said, you know what? You're not going to die until you see the Messiah. But he had woken up every day thinking, Lord, did I really hear you correctly? Or not, do you think Simeon second guessed that word from god i I think so, because I think that he was like us you know if if you think back in history, Adam and Eve second guessed God in the Garden of Eden, right? God said, You can eat anything you want in the garden, just not that tree. And when Satan says, Did God really say that? did God really mean that? Adam and Eve said, huh Maybe, maybe we didn't hear right. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, second-guessed God as well. God had given him this promise that said, "You know what? You're going to have a son. Uh, you and you and Sarah are going to have a son, and through that son, all the earth will be blessed." And um, and Abraham, the years went by, and Abraham said, eh, "Did I really hear God right? Maybe, maybe that son's going to come through some other." Way. He second-guessed God. I, I, think that, I think that Simeon probably second-guessed God. Here's the question for you this morning, a couple days before Christmas. What promise has God given you that you second-guess? That, that you think, ah, yeah, he said it, I just am not sure that it's true. God has promised in his word that he will supply all your needs. God has promised that your past stupid all those decisions that you've made that he's able and willing to forgive. God has promised that he has a plan for your life. And God has told us in his word that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, whether you're, whether you look at your physical body and you think, ah, I, this is not really what I want. God, I, I, I'm not sure that I believe that I am fearfully, wonderfully made. I'm too tall, too short, too skinny, too fat, too bald, too hairy, too, too whatever. You 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 look beyond that and you think, yeah, yeah, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God's promised that He'd take care of me, but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen in my marriage. I don't think it's going to happen in my singleness. I don't think it's going to happen with where I am. I've got questions about, you know, who I am and and, and where I fit. Have you ever second guessed God? This encounter with Simeon, with Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the temple is a, is a really an incredible thing. Um, when I was growing up in Sunday school, I and I always saw pictures and and it was pictured kind of like. Rafiki with Simba and Mufasa and all the animals of the kingdom, you know, holding up the child and everybody gathers around and everybody's watching and it's this big, big deal going on. Music in the background. I, I, don't, I don't think that that's what it was like at all when you actually read this passage in Luke 2. They're at the temple. In the temple courts, there's lots of people there. There would have been other families dedicating their firstborn son. There would have been people ready to sacrifice to God. There would have been all kinds of other stuff. I think the, I think the better description is this. You know, when you go to, to, to Walmart or Meijer, and, and there's all these people there, and they're getting ready to check out, and there's all this busyness that's going on, and there's this couple with this young baby, and somewhere in the aisles, this old guy comes up, looks at the baby, and his face lights up, and he says... This is the one. This is the promised Messiah. Everybody else keeps doing their stuff. They keep going. There's, you know, people interacting with the religious leaders, and they miss the significance of the baby Jesus. If you want a Christmas that's better than empty, recognize Jesus, even when no one else does. Look for him all around as Simeon did. Simeon recognized Jesus. Well, uh, one commentator that, that I read uh, wrote these words, and I thought they were so great. They said that, he said this about Simeon, because we don't know anything about Simeon. We only know what the scripture tells us, that he was righteous, that he was devout. We don't know anything about his parents. We don't know anything about his job. We don't know anything about his hobbies. We don't know anything about his economic st- status. Just just about his character, one of the commentators said, Only the role Simeon played in Jesus' story is important. Think about that for a second. Only the role he played in Jesus' story is important. That should be the biographical statement about each of us, right? The only thing that's important about our lives is the role that we play in Jesus' story. Simeon says, God, I can die now. Dismiss your servant in peace. I can can die because I have seen the promised Messiah, the Christ. Uh, When you read that passage, there's there's one other thing that I think that jumps out that's just powerful to me, and it's the providence of God. We've talked about that uh, a number of times over the last year here at North Point, that the providence of God is God working through natural circumstances to accomplish his will. And when you read that passage, listen to it. Uh, uh, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the Holy Spirit was on him Um, moved by the Spirit he went into the temple courts and there he encountered Mary and Joseph and Jesus God directed, prompted him to go to the temple at just the right time that Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus would be there God had promised that he would see the Messiah but he didn't tell him where or when so every day Simeon got up saying God, where do I go? You know, where do I go to look? That particular day, God said, you know what? Go to the temple. And at just the right time, he encounters there. Don't miss this truth. Through the providence of God, God is always working in your life. He is always working in your life. It may feel like you've been abandoned. It may feel like the events of your life don't make sense. But God is always working for providence. Um, emptiness for us at Christmas can come from lots of different reasons uh, i don 't know if you 're feeling empty today or not, but uh, maybe you have in the past uh, let me let me just um, let me just prompt you to do some thinking some, Sometimes emptiness comes because of uh, situations in our family um, uh, there 's a, a level of brokenness there, and so we celebrate Christmas and it just feels empty. sometimes the emptiness comes because as we get older, our family and friends get farther and farther away from us, and, and we feel lonely it It grieves me whenever I read about um, people who are in nursing homes or assisted living and and they live out Christmas Day without anyone ever coming to visit. There, there can be a level of emptiness if you 're at that stage of your life some Some people um, are empty because of depression, because they they deal with depression, um, mental health issues, and it's just hard for them to get past it and to see past their circumstances, their mind frame, to see the significance of the baby in the manger. I, I think most people that deal with emptiness at Christmas, that it comes from from expectations, You have these the, these expectations that you think, oh, you know what? At this point in, in my life, I, I'm gonna have a job. I'm gonna have a home. I'm gonna have a family. I'm gonna have kids. It's all gonna be great. I'm gonna have this amount of stuff. And it comes to Christmas time and, and you kind of wake up and say, uh, you know what? I'm probably never gonna have that stuff. I'm never gonna have a home. You might feel like, you know what? I don't think I'm ever gonna get married. Uh, you, you might think, ah. Uh, God, we're never going to have kids. And so you've got these expectations that are unrealized, and it creates this emptiness in us. Sometimes we have all that stuff, and the expectations have been fulfilled, and we realize that they are not fulfilling. And so we feel empty. We've got the house. We've got the job. We've got the money in the bank. We've got the stuff. we've we've, We've got the spouse. We've got the kids. And we realize that's not filling the emptiness. The emptiness is there. Maybe, maybe we look to fill the emptiness with the wrong thing. Augustine, about 16 centuries ago, 1,600 years ago, wrote that our hearts will not be quiet until they're filled with God. I, I love that. Our hearts will not be quiet until they're filled with God. About 350 years ago, Blaise Pascal wrote about roughly the same thing. He said that there is this void in man that can only be filled by God. In our culture, we often talk about about having the God-shaped hole in our heart. That, the, that there is this vacuum that's there that only God can fill, and we can try and put all kinds of stuff in there to fill that hole, but the only thing that fills that, that fills it perfectly, is God. You know, when you're empty and you continue to live on empty, it creates this spiral that ultimately results in despair emptiness after emptiness after emptiness when we when we recognize that it it ultimately results in despair in us uh, anybody ever try and run a race or go for a run having eaten the wrong things you know you you eat a whole bunch of candy or whatever and you go out to do the run and um and maybe you're doing a five k maybe you're doing maybe you're crazy and doing a marathon you know um you 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 get out and you're doing the run and about A third of the way in, you think, there's no way this body is going any farther because there is no fuel in the tank. You run on empty, and ultimately you get to a place that that you think, I don't even think I could get home. Emptiness on emptiness leads to despair. The prize for running the race on empty is, is despair. The antidote for emptiness is understanding who Jesus is why he came, and why he, why he decided to come and live with us on this earth for 33 years. Understanding who he is, why he came, and the hope that we have to be with him eternally. It's understanding, the antidote for emptiness is understanding that our purpose on life is not to celebrate, to celebrate Christmas in the moment. It's that God wants us to celebrate Christmas with him for eternity in the presence of Jesus. It's understanding that our lives here on earth in preparation for that time have purpose and meaning. If you want a Christmas that's better than empty, fill your Christmas with Jesus, with hope, and with purpose. Jesus in John 6 is, uh, has fed 5,000 people. They come to him. They want to make him king. Jesus says uh, he basically escapes and goes and spends time with his father. The next day they come to him and, said, and say, uh, we want to make you king. And Jesus says, you know what? You're only coming because I fed you yesterday, because I gave you food. And that this conversation then ensues about Moses and manna. And Jesus ultimately says, you want food that lasts? It comes from me. Uh, John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You want to not be empty? Fill yourselves with Jesus. Don't, if you don't want Christmas to feel empty on Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock, pursue Jesus. Mark chapter 8, Jesus describes what, it's, what it looks like to pursue him, to have a relationship with him. He, he said in Mark chapter 8, he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, to gain all the Christmas presents and yet forfeit their soul. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You, want, you talk about a challenge that's worth throwing your life into. It is in pursuing Jesus. Jesus, when he uses that phrase, whoever loses their life for my sake or for the gospel, that is all about life purpose. That's all about meaning. That's all about what drives every bit of what we do. It's not about what makes us happy. It's not what about, about what makes us feel good. It's about living for Jesus, about our role in Jesus' story. How, how do you do that, P- practical terms? How do you pursue Jesus? Let, let me let me give you some things that can help deal with the emptiness at Christmas. Um, uh, read read about Him in Scripture. Chris mentioned this. If you haven't done it, just start reading the Gospels. Um, in particular, read the book of Luke. That, that'd be a great place to start. It starts with the Christmas story, and you can read the story of Jesus through the eyes of Luke. Talk to Jesus as well. Spend spend time just praying. That might be a new thing, a hard thing for you. Just talk to him like you would anyone else about the stuff that's going on in your life, the things that are on your heart. Um, look for him everywhere, in the same way that Simeon would have walked through the city of Jerusalem, walked through the temple with his eyes scanning all the time, looking for Jesus. Look for Jesus, look for evidence wherever he leads, follow, listen for him and and if you 're doing that here 's some practical things this Christmas. I think you can do to to see Jesus and to lose that emptiness. Um, first thing is is this just um, disconnect digitally and electronically um, let me let me challenge you tomorrow beginning with whatever Christmas Eve service you come to until, until Wednesday morning, so a day and a half, turn your phone off, turn your computer off. Some of you are going, ah, 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 ah. that's all the more reason to do so. Disconnect so that you can hear God speak, so you can enjoy that moment, so that he can fill you up at Christmas time. Stop comparing your Christmas to other people, to other people in your family, to your other friends, to the people who are around you. Stop comparing this Christmas to Christmases in the past so that God can fill you up. Just enjoy the moment of that. Um, I don't know if you could do it. There's just a couple of days, but reach out to others and maybe practice some hospitality. If you know someone that's going to be by themselves, invite them to come and spend Christmas with you. Um, A number of years ago, uh, there was a lady in our church that was, um, she was kind of a rascal of a lady, Um, but she was all by herself. Her husband died. She was widowed. Um, She didn't have any uh, any children. She was disconnected completely. She was going to be all by herself, and we invited her to our house for Christmas. That kind of cramps on your Christmas style, but it was an incredible thing to see her get so excited about our kids, our girls opening their presence. Reach out to somebody who's by themselves. Practice hospitality. Um, Give back. Volunteer. Find a way to serve in the name of Jesus. Um, Maybe in the next couple of days, you can write a note to to your kids' teachers or or principal or maybe to a politician and, and tell them thanks for what they're doing to impact our community. Maybe you can do the same thing for police or fire. Maybe you can go take some cookies to those guys and gals. Maybe you can go and clean their toilets. Um, you know, do something to serve them, and to express the love of Jesus at Christmas time in a cool way. Be be a secret Santa. Find a, find a way to do something that doesn't that that no one will ever really know. Well, we we lived out in Washington D.C. for a whole bunch of years. For about twenty years, our family was in Ohio. I remember when the girls were little, coming back for Christmas one year. Um, the the girls I can't even remember what ages they were, but we were making this this ten hour journey with. We knew every McDonald's along the way. Um, we stopped at, at McDonald's in in this section that would that was um, that was a. Kind of economically deprived situation. We didn't look uh, like the people who were around us at all, and um, we're, we're we're sitting there uh, in McDonald's, and this older guy came over and he said he said to us he said Can I can I give your kids a present? We're right there with him, and we said Yeah, that'd be okay. And out of his pocket, he took a quarter for each girl, for our three girls, and gave them a quarter. And um, in that moment, I, I was. Think about that it would, It was just such an overwhelming sense of god 's love for us through a stranger but figure out figure out some way that you can do something like that for someone that no one will ever know about and express god 's love in a in a cool way don't turn down an invitation um, if uh, with someone that you know that uh, you know safe kind of a deal uh, but if somebody invites you over, say yes even though it might be it might stretch you to do that say yes cuz god might be in the middle of that and don't try and control all of your circumstances this christmas don't don't try and do it um, let me let me just finish with a word of caution sometimes we try and hide our emptiness by sweeping it under the bed do you remember that do you remember what happened when you were a teenager and your mom and dad would say clean your room and you say okay and you take everything that was on the bed and everything that was on the floor and you would either hide it under the bed or you'd push it in the closet and shut the doors. Some of you, lots of people are nudging each other at this point in time. Don't do that with your emptiness. It's easy for us with our emptiness to try and hide it, to medicate it with some kind of substance. It's easy for us to just ignore it. It's easy for us to fill that void with stuff or with busyness or or with control. Don't do it. Stuff won't fill empty. Busy won't fill empty. Comfort, safety won't fill empty. Finding Jesus, finding hope, finding purpose, that will fill the emptiness this Christmas. Man, search for Jesus like like a hunter who tracks a deer. Search for Jesus. Like like those guys on Oak Island are searching for that treasure, right? Search for Jesus like a parent who who has one present that their child wants, and they are going crazy to try and find that for their child. Search for Jesus. Search for hope. Search for purpose in him. I, I want us to finish this morning with with an expression that I, I think makes a ton of sense for us at Christmas, and that's to share in the Lord's Supper. Jesus, before his death, left us with a physical reminder of what Christmas is all about uh, and, and how we can be filled by him. It's, it's in the Lord's Supper. Luke, Luke describes this in Luke 22. He says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to celebrate the Passover, to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus said, I want to do this with you guys, even though, even though I know what's in front of me, even though I know I'm going to be tortured, even though I know I'm going to die, I want to be with you. It's incredibly interesting to me, the, the, the parallels, the symmetry of Jesus' life. After Jesus is born, 40 days after he's born, he's taken to the temple And a sacrifice is made, an offering is given to remind the family of what redemption looks like, to remind them of the Passover. At the back end of Jesus' life, 40 days before he ascends into heaven, 40 days before he ascends into heaven, Jesus celebrates the Passover with his closest friends. Luke describes it this way, that Jesus said, I tell you, I will not eat this Meal again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this, divide it among you. I tell you, I won't drink again from the fruit of vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Which is poured out for you? What's going to happen? Uh, ushers can go ahead and come down. They're going to they're going to pass trays down that have a little cup of juice and a, and a little bit of cracker. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you know Him, if He is the Lord of your life, take that cracker, take that juice. And in the next few minutes, as music plays in the background, allow allow yourself to experience. Christmas that God designed, to be filled with the power, with the wonder, the joy of the reality that Jesus came to earth for us. If you don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus, it is absolutely okay to just pass the tray on to the next person. Listen to the quiet music, just kind of enjoy the, the opportunity to take a breath and be still, um, and 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 just talk to God as well. Say, God, Is this stuff really real or not? There'll be a time of quietness once you have the the cup and the bread. And then um, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it. We'll sing and we'll end our time together, end our our, uh, Christmas together. Jesus is the only one who can fill that void that we have.